Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. I feel like God's already done a work already, and I know he's going to be faithful to complete it. But uh, a couple of things. If you're new for the first time, I know we have a families here. Um, hey, if you're new, we got a gift for you. Please step out of the Walkout Center after service. We want to bless you with a gift. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we ask that you would just give us three weeks. Give us three weeks in a visit if you're visiting. Um, we want to get to know you. Um, in front of you is a little QR code. You can, you can take a picture of that and we can get your information. We want to follow up on you and just bless you. Maybe bless you with some coffee or whatever. Um, but we just ask, if this new visit is not the church for you, we'll help you find the church. And so, because we just want you to be plugged in uh, uh, somewhere there. Um, Hey, we have a lot. You saw the videos. We have a lot going on uh, this month, and I'm so excited about what God wants to do uh, this next month as it relates to our Easter season. We're going to do a week of prayer and fasting, but guys, you're going to get an opportunity to go out and bless the community. Uh, we're going to bless you with gift cards. We're going to bless you with a bunch of stuff to go out. We have all these places where you can serve. But more than that, if you can't jump in where you can find somewhere to serve, we just ask you to go to your neighbor, take some cookies, go bless your coffee, pay something forward for somebody. And Obviously, we're going to celebrate Easter together. But I just want to encourage you to hear more as we get involved with what God's doing there. So we're continuing on with our sermon series. I believe you have your Bible, turn over into the gospel, the 17th chapter of the gospel of John. And we're going to continue on as we've been journeying through the gospel of John together. John chapter 17. You know, in San Diego, um, we have a ferry that goes from the harbor here over to Coronado Island. You could take it's really quick little ride, but if you take it across and you go across, and when you come to the dock, the sailor will actually cast a rope out and they'll pull the, the, you'll dock into the dock with the rope. You know, it's very interesting when the sailor does that, it's not that he's bringing the island to him, but actually the island's bringing the boat to the dock. And I think a lot of that's what prayer is, guys. It's not us drawing God to us, but God drawing us to him. Prayer is not the way to get to God to do our will from heaven. It's it's prayer is the way to get man to do his will on earth. That's what prayer is, right? So we have to have an understanding about something this morning. Prayer is not having God to line up with us, but we don't line up with him. What is his plan? What is a, his agenda? What is his heart? See, the purpose of prayer is to learn to be dependent upon God. God wants us to practice prayer so we can learn to be dependent upon him because God's already on his side. He already knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it, the scripture says. And so we're looking at prayer this morning. Prayer is the key to the kingdom. Prayer is what elevates the believer's life. Prayer is what unlocks doors to the spiritual world, heals the sick, touches the blind, defeats the work of the enemy, softens the hardened heart, heals the wounded heart, strengthens the homeless heart, empowers the weakened heart. Prayer transforms the wicked and makes all things possible. You only need faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. You only need to abide in prayer in order to bear much fruit. Prayer is the, I think, the lost discipline of the church. We have failed to see and understand the the power of prayer. Prayer is not a mantra. It's not an acronym. Though those things are important and helpful, prayer is about intimacy with God. 
Prayer is not just praying up to God, but also praying with God. The smallest gathering in the church is the prayer meeting. Even when Jesus defines his house as a house of prayer. Yet it was at a prayer meeting that God birthed his church. It's at his prayer meetings that God did mighty, mighty works. It's at prayer meetings that God changes communities and changes the world. Guys, my fear here as a church, as a New Vision family, is that we become so busy like Martha, we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary. In fact, Mary did what was best. See, we can rely on programs. We can rely on church growth models and business practices for the church and fail to recognize there needs to be his power to fulfill his mission. The power of the church comes through prayer by the move of his Holy Spirit. As we're entering in to chapter 17, Jesus has been intimate with his disciples. In fact, from, chat, from verses 13 all the way through 17, he's been giving a discourse. He's been giving a sermon. He's been ministering to the people and laying down and dropping things into them that he wants them to learn. He wants them to see. He wants them to hear. We often think Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us this day our prosperity. Forgive us and provide for our daily bread. We think that's the Lord's Prayer, but that really isn't the Lord's Prayer. That's actually the disciples' prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer because Matthew 6 was a response from a question that the disciples asked to teach us how to pray, and he gave them that model prayer. But the prayer of John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus' prayer because Jesus could never pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins and those who sinned against me because he had never committed sin. But John 17 is really the most intimate prayer you will ever see because it's Jesus, the high priest, entering the most holies of holies in the presence of his father in order to call upon his father. And we're going to look at that prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray this morning as we enter into John 17, Lord, that you speak to our hearts that, Father, we could begin to understand the heart of God through Jesus' prayer to the Father. For it was so intimate, this intimate prayer that we get a picture of as he's been ministering and caring and teaching. Now he closes that message, that sermon with prayer. And so we started with prayer and we closed with prayer. And we say that often in Jesus. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning. Here's the first thing. Prayers for personal preparation. Prayers for per, 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 prayer is for personal preparation. These PPPs are getting to me. Okay, we're seeing Jesus is praying for himself in verses one through five. That's what we're seeing here. Uh, Julie and I, we had done some traveling and we had gotten on a plane. And when you, if you ever been on a plane, you you got to find your seat, you get settled in, and then the stewardess come out and they give you this whole little monologue about what you need to do. And that monologue is, hey, you know, here's how to put your seatbelt on. Here's this little barf bag in case you get sick. You know, all these different things. But one of the things he tells you is, see, there's, see, there's, if there happens to be cabin pressure that goes and you lose cabin pressure, there's going to be this little mass that falls from the ceiling. And what I want you to do is I want you to first put on the mask before you help your kids. 
He's always saying, you got to first put on yourself and then you turn to help your kids. See, the, the purpose of that instruction was that I can be no good to though my kids unless I first take care of myself. Unless I first get the oxygen, then I'm able to help those that are next to me. See, the preparation of what the Jesus is teaching here is like, look, God, Father, deal with me. I'm, I got it. You got a plan for me. Prepare me. So he had to begin to do some personal own soul care with his father. He's taking time with his father to prepare for the work that was about to come. That's why we see him praying for himself in John chapter 17. Because he's praying for an appointed time. Look what it says in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Jesus spoke these words. He's talking about verse chapters 13 through 17. I've given you these words. I'm finishing my message with a prayer and this is his prayer, right? The, the prayer was that, that Father, he, you know, our Father in our heaven, Father, he's opening up. We have our Father, our, our prayer is directive. He, he's speaking words out loud. Guys, sometimes we can speak out loud in prayer. We can speak in our own hearts, but he's speaking to his father. He's expressing his thoughts here because he knows the time has come for him to go to the cross. We know that's the time that he's speaking about. Three times he shared with the disciples that he was going to die, be buried, and raised again. Three times he shared, this is what my future holds. And their response first was when Peter heard it first was, oh no, Jesus, no way. And then Jesus rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. The second one they, they heard about his death and resurrection was that they became very fearful like of what was to happen. And then the third time he reminds them, it says they even became confused. Jesus is laying out what is going to happen in the future and their response was different each time. Listen, the gospel is Jesus died and was buried and rose again. We're going to celebrate that at Easter. But the whole gospel is he's going to come back too. <laughs> we forget that part. That's the, the whole gospel. But here you see the posture of prayer with Jesus to his father. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven. There's a posture to our prayer. In fact, in our culture, what do we do? I said, let's pray. What's the first thing you guys do is, right? You close your eyes and you bow your head. Nine out of 10 times in the scriptures, they lifted up their eyes. They raised their hand. They stood up. That didn't mean that they didn't kneel. There are times they kneeled and they had those moments. I'm not saying that that posture is wrong, but I think culturally we've said we bow our heads and bow our eyes and close our eyes. In reality, we look heavenward. We look up. I think that's why Jesus later on, we'll see when he goes to the garden, okay, could you just pray for one hour to be, what does he say to the disciples? Watch and pray. <laughs> Watch and pray that, guys, if we want to see things happen in our prayer, we got to be watchful. And so he lifts up his eyes to his father. That's the position of his heart. You know, it's not so much even the position of our body as much as the position of our hearts. That we're before the Lord. He, he has open heart and an open mind. Why? Because we, God's teaching us in our prayer. Jesus says, I got to be kingdom-minded, right? Kingdom-minded. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the kingdom prayer, right? Prayer is the practice of being heavenly-minded. We're renewing our mind in our prayer. God, what are you doing? What are you speaking? How are you doing? And so Jesus is coming to his Father. He says, I need you to prepare myself. And his first prayer request, prepare me for the work you want me to do. Because he's about to go to the cross. Prepare me for this work. 
And before there can be any work through us, we need Jesus to prepare us for the work. Guys, we're going to have prayer and fasting the week of the 27th to the 31st because I want you to be prepared before we go out because we cannot go out in our own flesh. We cannot go out in our own doing. God has some divine meetings for us, but we have to be prepared. So God wants us to be prepared us personally in our own personal time. See, Jesus commanded us to go to our secret place. Remember the story we talked about prayer and how the religious leaders were praying with their whole phylacteries and were out there making a big thing about the prayer. He said, no, 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 I don't, I don't care about that prayer. You go to your secret room, you go to your closet and you pray. Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are hypocrites out there acting and fasting and praying so everybody could see what they're doing. He said, no, you go to your secret place and pray. Now, what is that secret? Oftentimes we think it might be a closet or a quiet room. I believe the secret place is wherever God's presence is. We're going into the presence of God in that secret place because Jesus is the high priest, goes into the holy holies. This is his secret place. He's with the disciples, yet he's going into his secret place with the Father. Guys, where do you find that secret place to be in the presence of God? That's crucial to the preparation, right? David, King David, was a man after God's own heart. And in his secret place, he would pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in an everlasting to everlasting. David was in the secret place with his father, the God, saying, God, work in me. You got a work to do, but in order for me to go out, you need to deal with Pete. You need to deal with us. You need to deal with what's inside. Because if I'm not kneeling in private, I can never stand in public. And God's more concerned about our character than our comfort. He wants to deal. And Jesus is saying, prepare me for the hardest thing I'm about to do, Lord. I'm seeking the Father on this. And the purpose of his seeking, the purpose of his preparation, it was that he wanted to glorify his Father. He wanted to honor him, right? The hour has come. The cross is coming. Give me what I need to glorify you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and him being glorified. This is not a prayer of the flesh. The Bible says when you pray, and pray all prayers and supplication, pray it in the spirit. Jude says, pray it in the spirit. You know, we can pray in the flesh. We can have our list for God. And we can pray in our own flesh. We want this, we want this, we want this. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. My prayer is, God, what do you want? Not my will, but thy will. How do I glorify you? Ah, I'm going to deny my flesh. Teach me how to pray in the spirit, God, not pray in the flesh. Because our prayers can be very self-centered. <laughs> and not God-centered, not kingdom-centered, not gospel-centered, but self-centered. Jesus wanted to honor and magnify and make famous his father. That was his request. That was his purpose. That was his, his goal in his prayer. But in the prayer, he's asking for revelation. He's praying for revelation. Look at verses two and three. He says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Interesting. You have given him Jesus' authority. God has authority. Jesus has authority to grant eternal life to all who want it, right? Remember when they healed the man on the pallet, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leader, oh, who are you to give authority to forgive sins? He was God. He's like, hey, you think it's easy to forgive sins or to make a man, man walk and you raise them up from the dead? 
He could do both because he had authority, right? He had authority all of humanity. He had authority to grant forgiveness. He had authority to grant eternal life to all who believe. That's why we pray in Jesus' name <laughs> because there's authority in his name because why? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There's something about his name. There's something about who he is because he has authority. He has power. And in fact, he has that power on the Great Commission. He says, I give you authority. We have authority in Jesus' name. He gives us that power. He gives us that authority. And I love this. He begins to define in his prayer what eternal life is. Right? We think, oh, eternal life is going to heaven. No. Eternal life is defined by knowing God. Right? Eternal life is not a place, but it's a person. Eternal life is found in Jesus. It says that, it says, and this is eternal that you may know, if you have your Bible, underline the word know you. The word know is conosco. It means to be intimate with God, to be acquainted with God. In fact, we see it all the way back to John chapter 10, right? He says, I know my own sheep and they know me. It's the same word. And in verse 27, John 10, it says, and my sheep hear my voice and I know them. God knows you and you are called to know him and they follow me and I give them eternal life. There's the authority and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Once you're in faith, secure. Man, that's great stability. That's great security. God, own that, people. Church, own that belief that God holds you because the enemy will say, no, he doesn't. I know your past. I know what you think. I know what you did. I have a laundry list on you. I have all these things. How can God hold you? Look at what you're doing. You're just one big mess. What a lie, because you've already been sanctified. You've already been justified. You've already been redeemed. You've already been placed in a position of those very things, right? See, to know God is important to the success of his mission and our mission. Think of Daniel, the young leader in the Old Testament. Daniel was taken captive by a Babylonian culture. He was a Jewish young man taken captive by a Babylonian culture in an unbelieving Babylonian world that didn't follow the Jewish practices, and he was a Jewish young man. But yet in that time, he prayed three times a day. He worshiped God three times a day. Even when they said, you're not to pray, he still was faithful to pray. And then he writes this, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. See, it was the preparation of his prayer that this man did great exploits, right? He actually outlived three unbelieving ruling kings and gave counsel to kings in an unbelieving world. They even tried to change his name and his identity, but, John, but Daniel knew his identity. He knew his God, and he knew that God was going to work with him in spite of a world that was against his God. We live in a world that doesn't necessarily see the way we see faithfully in our, through the scriptures. But we're to be people of prayer, being prepared for this work. Paul's prayer in, 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 in the book of Ephesians, chapter one says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God, Lord, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Eternal life is to know God. Our mission, our first mission is to know God. Because out of that, we'll bear much fruit. Out of that knowing and abiding, great exploits will come, right? 
And then Jesus begins to pray for the work. Look what he says in verse four or five. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He says, I've glorified you. He says, I've been journeying on this earth for 30, 33 and a half years. We don't know much about when he was young. We know he was in the temple. He was 12 years old and he spoke with authority and they were blown away by it. But we don't know much about that. We saw his beginning birth. We saw when he was 12 and then boom, we see when he's 30. And in that time from 30 to 33 and a half or whatever years, he was there for three and a half years. He's doing this ministry. He's healing people. He's talking about the kingdom. He's raising the dead. He's doing all these miracles. He's glorifying his father in the ministry. He's honoring his father in the ministry. He's saying, I finished the work, Jesus. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is a finisher. He, you know, a lot of us could be great starters, but we don't finish well. Jesus started and he finished well. We're called to do the same. We're called to begin a great work, right? It was at the cross that he died. He said, it is finished. He finished his work to glorify his father. Jesus even said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We are called to the same prayer. <laughs> we are called to the same prayer. We are praying that our lives would be, bear good testimony to others, that we can glorify our Father, fulfilling His will. That's why in Matthew 5, 6, says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our lives are called to glorify God in, the, in our service but who's getting the glory? Jesus. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit getting the glory. Right? He'll use the foolishness and the weak things of this world to blow the minds of this world. Right? I, I'm reminded of a story this happened this week. One of our brothers, Mike, some of you know Mike Norton. He's an assistant director at our Hope House. But you might know a story, you may not know a story, but Mike had his own issues, struggles with addictions, struggles with broken marriage, struggles a lot of things in his life. I called Mike up one day. God put it on my heart to call Mike, and it was about, geez, over 10 years ago. And anytime God puts him in mind, I try to follow it right away, and he, Mike came up, so I called Mike, and Mike was sitting in the back of a truck, $12 a pocket, ready to slam dope. And he's like, what? And I said, Mike, get over here. Get to the church. And he comes to the church, and he gets in our men's home, starts walking with God, starts growing with God. And all that, his life was a mess. But God pulled it all together. All the mess. He was having problems with the law. He was having problems with everything. God pulled it all together. And he's been walking with Jesus. He's now working at Hope House. He's out serving in the ministry. He's walking with Jesus. He's praising Jesus. He's honoring Jesus. This week, the story's not done yet. Are we all like, yeah, amen. But let me tell you what the story is. Let me tell you what the greatest part of the story is. He gets a call this week from a lady. He says, look, we've been watching you. And we want to sponge your record. We want to sponge your record. And so then he, she begins to say, we don't know what's going on with you, but we've been watching you. And he says, can you tell me, the lady, she's talking to the lady, the lady's talking for with him. He says, tell me, wh what changed you? And he says, well, he goes, God, Jesus changed me. He goes, because I watch other people that are going through the same thing and they're not changed. He goes, what changed you? He says, I'm telling you, Jesus did it. What, 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 no, no, no. So as he's telling his story, she's weeping on the phone. 
She's crying. You're telling me it's the Jesus factor? Yeah, it's the Jesus factor. It's not the self-help factor. It's not the do-it-yourself factor. It's the Jesus factor. The Bible says that he's begun a good work in you and he'll be faithful to finish it. Say the word finish. finish. He's faithful to finish it. God's doing this work. You might be discouraged. You might be like beat up. God, I can't get this right. God ain't done with you. It's glory to glory. He's doing this great work in you. He's doing the fish finished work in you. So I'm going to challenge you with this. What is it that God put on your heart to do? Something God's put on your heart to start ministries or be involved in ministries or he's called you to do something and you've just been hesitant. You haven't been obedient. God's calling you out and you're like, oh, I think I, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. or I'm not a good speaker. I'm not any of those things, guys. It's not you anyways. It's God working through you. He's working through you, through each of you. I'm just blown away by Danny Bowles. I, I've known Danny since he was 13 years old. He's doing this evangelist crusade on the internet, social media, just blowing people out of the water with the words of God through social media. Sharing the gospel. The street kid from San Diego I knew was running amok in the city. Now God's using him faithfully because he, God called him to do something and he listened the call and he's beginning to do this work. Why? Because God's doing the work and he's finishing it through him. So, God, he, Jesus starts with praying for himself. God, prepare me. Guys, this month I'm, month, I'm asking you to go before the Lord and pray and say, God, prepare me for this great work you want me to do. And that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Praying for the disciples in the church. He's beginning to pray for the disciples, right? We have a thing called the State of the Union Address where the president gets on and begins to speak to the Congress and usually gives a, a journey about what's been going on in the, in the nation. He begins to give a report. He begins to speak about the important issues that America's facing. And he, and he begins to offer of ideas how he's going to address the nation's problems. And, and he begins to give suggestions about these laws and policies. You know what John 17 is? It's Jesus' prayer that's basically here a state of the union prayer. He's beginning to pray for himself. He's beginning to pray for the disciples. And then he's going to pray for others. And he's going to say, this is how it's all going to happen. And he's given his prayer of this union address, this, this state of the union address. Maybe it should be the world union address here. Because he's praying. He says, we need to focus on this prayer. See, Jesus is, is not looking for service prayer. He's looking for a heartfelt that's unashamed, a prayer that's reached out. Our prayers glorify him. We know that we could only do what we can do if we ask it for him, because with God, all things are possible. And so he begins to pray for the apostles and the disciples here, which I'm going to equate it that he begins to pray for the church. And look what he says here in verse 6 through 8. I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world. Remember, Jesus was at a prayer meeting, prayed all night, and then he selected the 12. That's what he did. And they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. He's basically saying, here, man, God, you gave me them. He's praying for his disciples. He's introducing the disciples to the Father. 
I love it what it says here. I have manifested your name. I made visible your name. How did he make visible his name? By doing the works of God, because he's the image of the invisible God. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is that. And so Jesus was the picture of God the Father on earth. I made known to the disciples the teachings about who you are. I'm the manifestation of God in the flesh. And I've lived out your name. I lived out your nature before the disciples. And they have believed me because they've seen me. People will believe in God when they see you living out that life of faith before them. You are the called out ones that God will use to manifest his name. You are the churches. I've given them, the disciples, the, the words of life, and they have believed. See, when you abide in what you believe, the words will come out. Come on. Don't worry about what you're going to speak to people. If you've been abiding with God and walking, they will come out. That God will give you the message in the moment yeah. by faith. You're going to be like, you're going to say something, walk away like, snap, how did I say I don't know where that one came from. I know that happened. I, like, I'd be like saying something, I walk away, tell them, well, thank you for the Holy Spirit because I don't know what to say, but something came out of my mouth and it made sense. It almost convicted me and converted me. You know what I mean? It was so, so deep. You know what I mean? I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I was ready to come to the altar my own words because that's the Holy Spirit moving because he lives you. God lives in you. We are being sent out because we believe in him. You have been given the words of life to share with others, right? And then he begins to pray for the disciples for their providence. Look at 9 through 12. I pray for them. I love this. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all are mine and yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them from your name. Those who you gave me, I've kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus is praying for the disciples in verses 9 and 10. The word providence means protective care of God. God had a protective care. Jesus had a protective care of the disciples. You notice every time they wanted to kill Jesus, he just snuck out of the crowds. Like he's like, they're ready to harm him. He's walk out. I know his bodyguards weren't protecting him. He just slipping in and out. They couldn't touch him until the appointed time. But he also protected his disciples. And he's praying for those who have been chosen and he's been protected. And he's, he predestined them. He chose them. He selected them. Just like he chose you. You're here because he chose you. Well, pastor, I don't feel like I'm chosen. Well, God's choosing you right now. He wants you right now. Well, I don't know if I want him. Well, he, well he's chosen you. Doesn't mean you've chosen him. But maybe, wait a minute, you said he's chosen. It goes in a circle. Predestination, there's all these theology things, guys. But the reality is God chooses everyone, but not everyone's chosen him. He's chosen the 12. He prayed for them and he, and he chose them. He predestined them. But I want you to know something this morning. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. He always lives to make intercession for you. He's always praying for you. I think these disciples were marked believers. God had his hand on them. They, they, they've been saved by his name. See, the church is not this building, but it's you. The church radiates God's glory. He uses the imperfect, the impatient, the rough around the edges. God has chosen you to represent him. Oh, help us, God. And that's the point, only by God's help. <laughs> only by God's help. 
But he's saying these things. He's saying these things, praying for the disciples, because Jesus was going to leave the world, and he's praying for their unity. I'm going to leave. So this team, these knuckleheads, got to stay together. <laughs> we got to be unified in this mission. We got to be of one heart and one mind, right? And, and, and guys, see, when we begin to go out and we serve outside these doors, the people need to see our unity, our love, our unity. See, because the greatest testimony of the church is its love and unity. See, Jesus is reminding his, the Holy Father, you've entrusted them to me. God, you've given them. You know, we are a gift to Jesus as much as Jesus is a gift to us. The Father's, you've given me this gift called the church, called the disciples, these men. You've entrusted them to me. And I'm departing and they're going to stay. Keep them. Guard them. Hold them. Protect them. Take care of them, Father. Because I know when, when that happens, nothing could take them out of the palm of your hands. And so he says, he says, I protected them, but there was one, the son of perdition, it says there. While, while I was with them, I looked over them. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I was shepherding them, but there was one, Judas. He was lost. Now, this is an interesting thing. Wait a minute. I thought we were chosen. I thought we were doing. And so people battle, well, how did Judas, because think about Judas for a moment. Judas was with the disciples. He was with Jesus for three and a half years. Even God selected him. Right? He chose him, but Judas really didn't choose Jesus. He was around Jesus, but he didn't choose Jesus. We could be in the church and be around Jesus and not choose Jesus. Right? Think about this moment. He was the portrayer of Jesus. He was the son of perdition. In fact, you remember when he was all about the money. He was actually... The, 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 the accountant for Jesus, right? And he was actually embezzling church money. In fact, you remember, he was taking from the till when they take offerings up and all these different things. And so when, they, when Mary came to wash Jesus' feet and he did and she broke all the perfume and it was that, that perfume was, worth so, was so valuable and he washed it and, and who was Judas? We could have taken that perfume and sold it and given it to poor. You wasted the perfume. Did you know that Judas' name means wasted? He had a wasted life because he didn't choose Jesus. He didn't choose Jesus. Judas, in fact, Jesus said earlier in John 6, when he fed the 5,000 in John 6, 7, he did, I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is the devil. Jesus already called out Judas a long time. Even at the communion, at the table, he says, Judas, I know what you're going to do. I know you're the devil, man. He's offering a peace offering to Judas, but go do what you need to do right? Yet God used Judas's rebellion to facilitate, to facilitate Jesus's ultimate agenda. God can sovereignly use your obedience or disobedience for his purpose. He can. I've seen him use unbelievers to bring others to Jesus and that person he even saved. I, I, I've seen people here when he walk with God, bring people to this church. They don't come back, but that person stays and grows in the Lord. I've seen that. God will use it anyways once. But as he's praying, he's praying for the protection from opposition. We see that in verses 13 to 19. He's praying for the protection for opposition. Look at this. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the word, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I've given them your word. I give them the message. And the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we see the oppositions. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Hey, don't take them out of their hardship, but there is an evil one called enemy. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them with your truth, for your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I love this. Jesus is praying. Here's what he's praying in verses 13 and 14. Keep your church joyful. <laughs> Keep your church joyful. Why does he pray that, right? Because he later writes on earlier in John 15, I write these things that your joy might be full. I want you to abide in me because I want your joy to be full. I want you to taste it and find that I am good, right? I want you to experience great joy for the fruit of the Spirit is joy. In fact, Jesus went to the all cross with joy, for the joy of the Lord was his strength. You know, as we go out and serve, we're going to face some oppositions, but don't let it rob your joy. <laughs> don't let it rob your joy, right? The world hates you. That's a strong word. The world hates you. In fact, that's the same word that Jesus lived, that if you want to be my disciple, you got to hate your mother, brother, father, son, even your own life. Whoa, 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 what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you have to love me so much it appears a hate to other people, right? But the world has a hate toward the church. The world has something against the church. And we are not of this world, right? Jesus, he says, I'm not of this world. Jesus said, I am not of this world. Remember, they wanted to make Jesus a ruler. They wanted to make him a king. He said, no, no, this, this kingdom, this is not of my kingdom down here. I have a, another kingdom. And they wanted to get the disciples because what did they want? The Jewish people believed that Jesus was going to be this guy that was going to overturn the government and start a new world. Like, hey man, they, he feeds 5,000. He heals the sick. Great. We have a great feeding program, government feeding program through Jesus. We got a healing. We got insurance through Jesus because he's a healer. Man, let's just let him set up the government on this earth. No, no, Jesus, I'm not of this kingdom. I'm not of this world. I'm setting up a different kingdom, Right? Why? And then we, by faith, become citizens of his kingdom because we become citizens of heaven. Rejoice in that fact. In fact, remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. He sends them out to do a ministry, to work. We're going to send you out coming in the week before Easter. We're sending you out, just like he sent out. And he sends them out, right, two by two. And he describes it as lambs among wolves. Why? Because the harvest is ready. There are people ready to receive God, right? I believe this is a season of harvest, and, he's, and then when they go out, the 70 come back to give a report. And it says they returned with all joy, giving a report. Even demons were subject to, to Jesus' name. We had authority and nobody could hurt us. And Jesus said this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven, Right? And so he's praying that you, that these servants, these disciples, right, keep them from the enemy, keep them from the mouth of the lion. Lord, don't take them out of the world. They need to be light in the world. But I know there's an enemy pursuing them, right? They're going to be light, and so the enemy is going to press in. Keep them from the bite of the enemy. Keep them from the mouth of the lion, from the words of the serpent. Keep them from that. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We live in our neighborhoods to bring the light of love of Jesus to our neighbors. 
but we're not to be like the world. And he says, also, he prays for them that they're being the world. Why? Because as they're serving the world, you got to keep them in the truth. You got to sanctify them in truth. You see that in verses 17 to 19, right? God's word sanctifies you. It sanctifies me. It sanctifies the church. That's why I teach the way I teach. I'm washing you with the word. I'm teaching you verse by verse. I'm instructing you because I'm cleansing you through the word because Jesus' word is truth. And he said, sanctify them with the truth. Clean them with the truth. This is the soap, <laughs> right? This is, this is just being washed, right? Husbands, you wash your wives with the word, Ephesians 5, right? But we have to sanctify with the truth. We have to have that agent, right? We have to have that bleach when we clean our whites out to get it white, right? The truth of love is the sanctifying agent of this God's word, right? Because God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. The spirit is truth. If you're going to grow in the scriptures, loving the son and living in the spirit, you are walking in the truth. And the word is a washing agent for us. That's why I teach you the way I teach, right? Because the word's going to keep you mission-minded. We see that in verses 18 and 19. The truth will lead you. He will guide you in all truth. The truth is the motivator. We are the sent out ones. We are sent to bear witness of the truth. We are sanctified to bear witness of the truth. We're not to love this world, but we are to love the creator of this world. We're not to be attached to this world, but we're to serve in this world. And here's the last thing, guys. We're going to pray. He begins to pray for those outside the church. As we're taking this month to pray, and we're going to have a prayer and fasting, I want you to pray preparations for yourself. I want you to pray for the church in here. But here's the third thing. I want you to pray for those outside the church that we're going to meet. I want to show this video here because if Chick, I think it's Chick-fil-A that does this. The church should be doing this. Watch this video. Now you're hungry. But Jesus said, the food I don't have is this, but to do the will of our Father. <laughs>
Everybody has a story. You have a story. And people outside there have a story. How are we going to connect the gospel and our story to their story? Because Jesus begins to pray for that for those outside the church. He's praying for the message of the messengers. Look at 20. I do not pray for these alone. Talk about the disciples. I don't pray for the disciples for alone, but also for those who believe in me through their words. You have a message. We're praying that God would believe, that people would believe in God through your words, right? He's praying for the message of the gospel, that it would take root. We are missionaries. We are ambassadors for Christ. See, these men, the disciples knew God, and they wanted others to know God. Think about this. This prayer was over 2,100 years ago, and we are the fruit of that prayer. The church today is the fruit of that prayer. You're here because somebody gave you a message. And my challenge is, is we're going to go out. We're praying that God use my words, the message of the gospel. But he's also praying for unity, 21 and 23, that they may all be one as you, Father, are one, and I am in you, and that you also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, that the glory which you gave me, I gave them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The unity is found in the one whom was sent. Unity is found in Jesus. He is the common denominator. In a world that's so divided, Jesus is the common denominator. But what's the unity? Unity is not conformity. Unity here is unity of purpose of the mission of God. May we be one with the Father and us with him so we can fill our mission as a unified people with multiple churches trying to get the kingdom out, right? But here it is. Here's a gift that you have been given that you have been glorified already. He says that you have been glorified already. I know there's justification, we're saved. I know there's sanctification, there's a cleansing. And glorification, we often think our glorification doesn't happen to our heaven. No, no, he says you're glorified already. You're already in the heavenlies. I talked about that last week about being the heavenlies in Ephesians chapter two. You're already in heaven with the Father, right? But yet ultimately, he's praying for God's love to be expressed to the world through you guys. 24 and 26, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. I want them to be in heaven and that they may behold my glory, which you have given me for you love me before the foundations of the world. Oh, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have declared to them your name and I will declare that the love which you love me may be in them and I am them. Jesus saying for the world, I want them to know my love. We bring that message of the gospel, love. I want them to know my love like I know your love, like you know his love since the beginning of time, right? I want those to come be with me forever in paradise to see my glory, to see my beauty. That's what Jesus is praying. I want them to see the beauty. Listen, the world is missing out because of their lack of knowledge of who the Father is. He says, O righteous, loving Father who sent me, please let them see your love. They're blinded. They're veiled. They don't understand. When you bring the word, they may not comprehend your words. But that doesn't mean we don't stop preaching. See, my prayer is that, that the love that is in me will be in them, Jesus is saying. Right? Your love, your kindness will lead men to repentance, Jesus. 
The Bible says the kindness of God will lead people to repentance. I don't have to beat you up. I don't have to threaten you. I don't have to do anything. Oh, the kindness of God will do that. The Spirit of God will do that. I was saved because of his love, right? It's not your bumper stickers. It's not your crease and t-shirts. It's your love. It's your love. So as I close this morning, I, I want to remind you of three things. We're going to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyways because we need it. First of all, we pray that God prepares us for a service. You in this month, commit yourself to pray, God, prepare me for what you want me to do. I want to be in the Holy Holies. I want this secret place. God, deal with me. Prepare me because there's something you want me to do that I might even be out of my capacity to do, but by your power and by your might and by your spirit, saith the Lord. That's the first thing. Second thing, pray for New Vision Church Easter hours. Pray for the ministry that God's going to call you to do, right? Who is it? Pray for people in the church. Pray for one in the church this month. Who is it that God put on? Who's that one that God put on your heart? Who's that one that you're going to pray for in the church? And lastly, pray who that one is for you to reach out to. Who is that one person this month you're going to say, I'm going to pray for this and I'm going to invite, I'm going to minister, I'm going to jump on an outreach thing during the week. I'm going to get involved. Who is that one? It might just be your next door neighbor. It was interesting. It was very interesting this morning. I was leaving, walking out of my house and my neighbor, Billy, was next door. He saw me walking on my Bible and I'm coming out and he, Billy, he's, 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 he's Buddhist. He's Hindu. He's kind of practicing Eastern thought. And he goes, oh, Pete, you're going to church? And I said, yeah. He goes, pray for me. I said, I always do, Billy. He goes, really? <laughs> that, that little seed, I'm trusting will open up the door. That little seed, that little seed, right? So this is what I want you to do. This might be a little hard to do, but I want you to do it because I think it'll be a blessing. I want everybody to stand up. And I want you to hold hands, cross aisles, and I want you to hold hands. And I want you to get the name of the person to your right and your left. The name of your person to your right and your left. Okay, it's okay. Okay. Now, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you first, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you this, this first. One, I want you to pray a blessing to the person to the right of you for 30 seconds. I'll lead you. I want you to pray a blessing to the left of you, and then I will call a blessing on all of you. Okay, we're going to do it all at the same time because God can hear it all at the same time. So right now, start praying. First on the right first, start praying. Thank you for your love and blessings. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you, touch them. I pray you bless them. Father, I pray that you lead them. Lord, I pray that you work in them. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're working. Now pray to the person to your left. Pray the blessing, Lord. Pray the people sanctify them, bless them, look over them, anoint them. Father heaven, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you that you've given us this prayer, that we got to go into the most holy of holies to see Jesus' prayer this morning. Father, we pray you take us in the most holy place during this time on our own, Lord, because you've called us priests. We're the priesthood of all believers. And that, Father, at, the, at, the, at their death, you ripped the curtain of the holies of holies in the temples that we might now enter in through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. 
And so I pray for your people this morning. I pray your blessings as they begin to prepare for what you want them to do. Lord, I pray you begin to prepare their hearts, prepare their minds. In their own time, Lord, they're doing business with you, Lord. Father, we pray that you, you mute the mouth of the serpent, the enemy who brings lies. But Father, you've given them all authority. Lord, I pray for the church as a whole. I pray for this body, this, this group of people, my family, their family, this family, this vineyard, Lord. I pray for them. You look over them. Bless. I know there are needs here. I know there are things are happening in lives. I know there's hurts. I know there's victories. I know there's defeats. I know there's wounds. I know there's healings. I know all that. But with Lord, I just pray your anointing upon your people now that as we gather to take communion in a moment, that Father, you're going to be glorified through your church. And we pray for your church this morning, your bride, your beloved, Lord. We pray your anointing upon them. Pour your blessings upon them that they may taste and find you. Pour your love upon them that they may know you, God, and know that you want to be with them and be near them, for this is eternal life to know God. And then I pray for those outside this building, Lord. I pray for our neighborhoods. I pray for the apartments to the right and to the left of us, Lord, as we're going to minister. I pray for Encanto. I pray for City Heights and our campuses, Lord, as we minister to the neighborhood. I pray for even the neighbors. We don't even know their names at our house. We've been living there for 10 years, don't know our neighbor's name. But I pray, Lord, that we can be your people that are missional in our mindset, Lord, that we're kingdom thinkers, that when we leave this place, as we go out the sign, it says, go into all the world, Lord. We got to be going and realize that, God, what is the one that you want for me this month that I can pray for, that I can just minister to? Lord, put that on them. There's a divine meeting for everyone in this place. Father, may they be open to be led by your spirit. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.